0: Hi everybody, welcome to the official RBYA podcast. We hope that whatever content we bring to you, whether it be messages or interviews or whatever else it may be, we hope that it would be edifying, that it would help you grow in maturity and in faith and in the knowledge of God. And we also hope that you stick around for any future announcements or updates. We hope you enjoy. Thank you for the opportunity to share with you the Word of God. It's our privilege, mine and my wife to to be with you, and uh, Q&A session, and uh, the sessions of uh, expanding on the word, so thank you for that. I want to thank you, the youth from our church, from GRBC, for uh, putting up with me, because uh, they hear me again. Uh, You know, I always wanted, when I go in camps, to hear somebody else other than my pastor, but uh, thank you guys for allowing me to be the speaker, and also for you guys to show up at this camp. Um, I am glad to be pastoring this generation, and I told them, and I can tell you that I sense a a move of the Spirit of God in this generation, which I did not in the previous generation, not that we didn't have good people, but um, you, you can sense, you know, people's interest and their affinity for the things of God or for the world so um, i praise god for that and i encourage you as you go back to the churches that you're involved to be um an authentic christian to live in the power of the holy spirit and to um, to witness to the glory of god and uh, let the you know the the uh, teachings of the word of god and the relationships you've built here to help you towards that thank you to the organizers and uh, Let's not forget to say thank you in the morning to the people that worked for us in the kitchen, providing such a good meal. I was late this evening. I couldn't leave that brownie. Uh, so, you know, I apologize. We, we lost track of time, basically. That's what it was. So, um, I mean, we started 10 minutes later, but <clears throat> we'll catch up. The theme that we had for, um, for this uh, particular weekend was the person and work of Christ. And we focused on the deity of Christ, uh, Jesus Christ of Nazareth is 100% God, 100% man. Um, But focusing on on him being 100% God. And rather than taking some of his statements where he presents himself as the son of God, or some of the um, the statements that disciples make uh, towards him as being the son of God, I wanted to prove his deity, or to show his deity through his actions. And that's why I picked those passages In which we looked um, on Revelation 5 and Philippians 2. That he is worthy of the worship that the one on the throne was getting. In Revelation 4, two times. You see that the entire worship is given to the one that sits on the throne. And then in Revelation 5, you see that two times the entire worship is given to the lamb. And then lastly, in the last verse... The entire worship is given to the one that sits on the throne and to the lamb. That's a clear picture beyond any doubt that the lamb is receiving the same worship that the one that sits on the throne is receiving. That's an undeniable fact that he is God. Um, And then we went to Philippians 2 to show that that lamb is actually no other one than the son of God. And he was receiving that worship because God gave him a name. He super exalted him beyond any names that at the mention of his name, every knee will bow. And that's what basically happened in Revelation 5, when we correlated those two passages to show the deity of Christ. Um, This morning, we looked at Colossians 2.15 and Revelation 20, in which Christ um, showed his power through the cross, again, through the cross, uh, over the demonic world and over Satan. And it's just unbelievable to look in the scripture... And to see that what armies of angels and generals, you know, Archangel Michael, fought Christ one by himself against the armies of God, against the devil, through the cross and through the resurrection. There's no other plausible answer that this is God. This is God, infinite God. Becoming men to take on such a task, on such a mission. Uh, this evening, I want us to look at a, a, another aspect of um, the work of Christ that proves that He is God, and that is our salvation that we receive in Jesus Christ. And let me pull my clicker. And um, we're looking at a salvation beyond comprehension, L- literally you can talk about it all your life, and you're not even scratching the surface. I'm amazed just by learning uh, what salvation is all about. Um, It's way beyond our explanation. We can only receive it by faith, enjoy it, trust Christ, and one day when we're going to be in perfection, at the last stage of salvation, which is glorification, when our bodies will be redeemed and glorified, I think we'll understand a little more um, and, and appreciate a little bit more what we have received in Jesus Christ um, as our Savior. So um, what I want us to look at, it's chapter 1 in Ephesians. And um, uh, it, it's an, a very interesting chapter because in this chapter, uh, we have the Trinity at work. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're really busy. They're really busy putting together humanity's salvation, our salvation, our forgiveness of sin, our redemption. You know, I'm using the words that are used in this passage. um, To give us life from death. To take away the sin. To make us children of God, as it says in verse 4 and verse 5. So, uh, I want you to pay attention because the entire... Godhead, Father, Son and Holy Spirit each contribute to our salvation, salvation with a specific task. They have specific responsibilities that complete, complement they're not, not competing, but complement each other to bring this amazing salvation that I, I hope to show you in the end that only God could have brought such a salvation, that it's beyond anything that we could have imagined or an angel. Uh, could have come up with so um, let's just uh, move on salvation above all comprehension Uh, god the father contribution uh, is uh, uh, spelled out in verses three to six Uh, so verse three says uh, blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ so we're talking about father now who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ? If there's a blessing that pertains to your soul, it comes from God the Father. He initiated this, He came up with this. He's the great architect of our blessings, He's the great architect of our salvation. Jesus Christ did not come to do a work of himself apart from God of the Old Testament. God of the Old Testament, who is an amazing God, whose heart is that of a father. He came up with the plan. When, when I started being a pastor of our church, I preached a lot on Old Testament. I had people come to me and say, oh, Brother Mateo, oh, no, Old Testament, it's, it, it's gone. We're in New Testament. I'm like, oh, really? Uh, because you know, Old Testament was different, and New Testament is, is grace. Old Testament was law. like, I don't think you ever understood the heart of God, even where the law was given. What was the purpose of the law? It was to protect the people of God. It was to help them guide, to guide them through this world, to, 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 to help them escape the snares of the devil. It was not so God would put a yoke upon them that they could never bear, but it was to help them out. The fact that they failed towards the law, it was because of the failure and the, the, the iniquity that is within human, uh, 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 within us as a humanity. It's not because God intended that to be. Don't look at Old Testament and say, oh, that God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. It's the same merciful God. And I'll prove you. And I'll show you that from scriptures this evening. So God the Father planned everything. I'm just going to zoom through it. I, I, I'm not expecting you to get everything that I'm saying, but I want you to get the general idea that God the Father planned everything before time, But his plans are to bless us in time. So uh, the plan was in heavenly places, but the blessings we already get here on earth. It's not when we get to heaven, but it's here on earth. Um, Having made known to us the mystery of his will. Again, one of the questions in Q&A was, did Satan know that? No, it was a mystery of his will. He willed it and it was a mystery, it was a secret. According to his good pleasure, Nobody forced him. He took the initiative on his own. That's very important. Which he purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, you know, that would happen. So, what are the blessings that God the Father um, uh, prepared for us? And here's the word that, you know, we get a theological debate of predestination. That it choose, it, he chose us. Uh, he chose us. Uh, you know, Are you the elect the chosen one or not? Please read Ephesians chapter 1 10 times if you need to. And show me where in Ephesians 1 talks about the election for salvation or for damnation. Nowhere. Don't look in the passage and see things that are not there. What are we elected to? Look here. We are elected to be holy and blameless. What does this mean? that the people that receive the salvation that God is offered, the blessings that God is offered, heavenly blessings, they are called to live a holy and blameless life. It's a little bit more than just being forgiven. It's living the life of a forgiven um, uh, person, right? Just as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Um, I'm just... You know, running through this, but I want you to get the picture. What else did he choose us for? He chose us to be his sons and daughters, adopted us into his family. That's what you get in this verse. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according again to the goodwill pleasure of his will. Nobody told him what to do. There was no coercion here, it was his own initiative and one more thing that he chose us to be to be living to the praises of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved now this will be a, a, a chorus that you will see after every um, person of the trinity after the son's work he says to the glory and praises of God. After the Holy Spirit worked to the glory and praises of God. So the entire salvation should bring glory and praise to God. When we started um, our church in May 2000, I had a kid, a young girl, sing at a, you know, the first service. Must have been special for the per- He paid a special price for me. You know that song? That is so much heresy in it. Christ died for me because I must have been special. You do not find that anywhere in the Bible. Christ died for me because he's merciful, because of his grace. There was nothing special about me. Everything in me was against him. It was sinful nature, and he died for that. That shows the mercies of God, the goodness of God, the heart of God, not the specialty within me. Okay, so everything in salvation ought to bring glory to God. If you feel special because you're saved and you look towards a person that is unsaved with that kind of attitude, my Lord, pray to God to, to open your eyes and to take pride away from you because being saved should make us humble and grateful to the grace that is given to us. So the Father's contribution is He planned. He's the great architect. He's the designer He thought it all. That's his contribution in the Godhead regarding our salvation. Now, the son's contribution is that he came and he paid. He put the price down. And it was his life. He came to do the will of the Father. And I'm just, you know, quoting Bible verses here. And it was his pleasure. Again, he was not forced to do so. He said, If this is the will of the Father, I am ready for it. That's why you have such an amazing salvation, because you have such an amazing Savior. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. You got three big words here redemption, forgiveness, grace. They're all, in, what does redemption mean? I'm just putting up some, some verses. Uh, I will not uh, stay much upon it, but the idea of redemption is to free somebody from bondage. There's somebody that lost their liberty, and they need to be freed. Whenever you are talking about redemption, it's like pay a price to ransom somebody, right? From death to life, from darkness to light, or so on. Um, That's redemption, and there are laws how redemption ought to occur. And a few passages in the Old Testament, Exodus 13, Exodus 21, and then uh, Exodus 30. All of those passages talk about the requirements for redemption to be legal and to happen. The one that was willing to redeem had to qualify. So that is so important because Christ is offering to pay the price of redemption, but he couldn't just pay the price. He had to qualify To free us. And that's where incarnation comes in. Because to redeem, you had to be related to the person you're redeeming. You could not be a a, a stranger to that person. So no matter how much God wanted to redeem us, He had to become one of us to get related to us. That's why you have John chapter 1, that the Word, which was God, became flesh. It was not for His interest, it was for our interest. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says that he who was rich became poor for us. That through him becoming poor, we might be rich because of him. So that's why, uh, why you have you have to have a close relationship, a close kin with the ones that uh, he's redeeming. And you see the word became flesh and dwelled among us, became one of us, one of us. The next requirement was... Um, A desire to redeem. He could be related, but he might not want to redeem. Do you remember in the book of Ruth? There was a closer king than Boaz to redeem uh, 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 Naomi. And and Boaz went to ask that closer king if he wants to or not. And he said, no, I'm not interested. So he had the right to, but he didn't have the desire. So did Christ have the desire to redeem us? For the Son of Man, Jesus' words has come to seek. Wow, this is amazing. And save that which was lost. Seek and save that which was lost. Now us calling for him is him seeking us. That's very important. And then um, uh, I just uh, quoted this verse, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. And then the third requirement was a financial stability. You could have qualified. You could have had the desire. But if you didn't have the money because you had to pay, there's no way you could do it. And that's why the closest kin did not want to redeem uh, Ruth, because it involved, you know, quite a bit of financial debt. And he said, I can't take this. I can't afford this. Well, we read in Colossians, you know, who is Jesus? If he has that financial stability, you can read in Hebrews 1. Oh, he's God. He has everything created, sustaining everything. And same thing in Colossians 1. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, earth, visible, invisible. If there's a price that needs to be paid, he can do it. But we know the truth. In Peter, he says that you are not redeemed. We're talking about redemption. You are not brought back from slavery from, from, with perishable things, with gold, with silver, precious stone, but with the precious blood of the Lamb of God. Actually, that was the price. He could have given a universe for us. But it had to be life for life. It had to be life taken for a life given. And it had to be a perfect sacrifice. And it was only him that lived the perfect life. Okay? So it went through what God the Father did. He planned. He's the designer. He came up with this plan of salvation. That was a top secret. Right? Right? That was a classified information. Then the son came and he was willing to pay the price. What he took to came into this world to identify with us. And Last uh, 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 last night we looked at the Philippians chapter 2 and in his being just humble and obedient to the cross for that redemption to happen. And Now you have the work of the spirit. What is spirit? He's the one that executes the salvation, that appropriates, that makes it. Present for us. He brings it to us. He's the one that uh, uh, um, seals us, is the word here. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee. He's the assurance. He's the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, again, to the praises of His glory. You see that again. Uh, that's the work of the Spirit. And when you're talking about the seal. There are quite a few things that the seal was used for back then and still today. The seal is a sign of ownership. You put that stamp there, it means it comes from you. you. It's a a, a sign of authenticity. Remember the letter that is sealed to make sure that nobody messes with it, that the message is is, uh, presented with integrity. And then is a sign of guarantee. It's a sign of guarantee, and that's our assurance. How do you know that you're a child of God? The Bible talks about it plainly. It's not whatever you feel. It's we're children of God if we have the Spirit of God within us. Romans chapter 8. Because that is the guarantee of our redemption. That is the guarantee that we belong to God. So it's not just raising a hand, getting baptized, but it is having the presence of the Holy Spirit to direct your life on a daily basis—that's the proof of your salvation. That's the proof of my salvation. He who does not have the Spirit of God—again, I'm quoting scripture—is not a child of God. Does not have God. He who has the Spirit and is guided by the Spirit is a child of God. Um, so this is how our salvation came about. There are many, many aspects. I just jumped through this when we did this with our youth. I think. I had four messages when we did this in our church. I had ten messages on this chapter. So what I just did you was an overview of our salvation. But you can go home, read Ephesians chapter 1, and just just sit. Just sit there and and just think about it, what he means. It's it's such a powerful, such a powerful chapter in the Scripture. I wanted to get to, to the last verses in this chapter. Because the last verses, it's a prayer that Apostle Paul has for the Ephesian church. And his prayer is... I'm summarizing it. Can you appreciate this great salvation? Can you appreciate this amazing salvation that God had set in motion? The Trinity set in motion for you. Can you just not look at it? Oh, great! I'm saved. But just just look at it and see what it means. What's the message of this salvation for your soul? So if you read those verses, verse 17, 18, 19, through uh, the last verse in this chapter, and I put here the back of a watch. I just love these things. I had watches in Romania, you know, so that would have been, what, 30-some, 40 years ago. You looked on the back, and you saw all those things moving in different directions. It was just so confusing, because I have to understand everything it has to make logic and sense. It did not make to me as a child. But I looked to the front like, everything is moving is right. Okay so when you look at the salvation there's so many intricate parts and I'll just mention a few of them uh, uh, later on in the message but but he's saying even if you're not understanding all the details of it can you appreciate look on the other side where is the benefit for you not necessarily what God the Father God the Son Holy Spirit was doing but but what it's blessing you with from the spiritual blessings that come from above All the blessings are in Christ. Verse 3 talks about that, right? But can you appreciate them? And what are those blessings? Okay, that's his prayer for the Ephesians. That you may know what is the hope of the calling, riches of the glory, and inheritance in the saints. So appreciating God's amazing salvation. Verse 17 is one thought that he's having. And 18 through the last verse is the other thought. Verse 23 So first thought is this, knowing Him. So He's presenting this grand salvation. And in the end, instead of saying, Thank you, God, He's saying, No, please, don't hurry. Can you just take a moment, look at it, and see that in this salvation, you can actually see the heart of God. To know Him, who He is, He's actually revealing Himself through this salvation that He's offering to give you his prayers, to give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, of Him whom, of him who gave salvation, who came up with this? It's about God. What is it that you ought to know about God regarding salvation? Well, if he came up with this, nobody forced him. Nobody gave him the idea. He was his own. Must have been, he's, he's pretty merciful. He's pretty graceful. Because he did this to his enemies, not to his friends. I thought when I was younger, adolescent, and it's evil thought, but I thought it. God is kind of sneaky. Because if he really wanted to save us, why didn't he come to pay the price? Why did he send his son? You know? Why don't you show up on the cross? Why do you send your son on the cross? I thought like that until we had the first funeral of a young person in our church. The day the the guy died, he was 21, I think. It just was a a, a sudden death. He went to bed, everything was okay. In the morning, they found him dead in in the bed. And I heard the parents literally... You know, screaming and and they just didn't have any more, you know, tears. And I heard that and I heard mom saying, Oh God, how I wish that I would be in that bed. They said, Why did you let me see this day? Why do you let me see my son die and bury him at such a young age? And then I realized that the greatest hurt and pain of a person, is not when they are suffering, but when the loved one is suffering. And I think most of us that will have a privilege of being a parent will identify with that because you always hurt when your loved one is suffering more than how you hurt when you're suffering. So basically, in giving his son, his only begotten son, his loved son, because God the Father is is underlining those, uh, Jesus' baptism, He's actually putting himself on the cross. He's actually giving us the highest price in breaking his heart by putting his son on the cross. Then I thought of God the Father totally different. And I started reading the Bible with this thought in mind. I want to know God how he presents himself in the Bible. Forget about my ways of thinking. How is God presenting himself in the Bible? And I was amazed. Um, our bringing up, uh, the 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 experience you have in your family says a lot about your relationship with God. Unfortunately, if you had parents that were abusive, that were very uh, you know dominant, um, you would tend to think that heavenly authority is the same, and you would try to hide when you do something bad right because you don't want to get spanked and punished and. And it's somehow we, we relate to that authority how we learn as little kids to relate to our earthly authority. That's why the uh, fifth commandment is so important that the relationship with our parents is between our relationship with God, first four commandments, and the last uh, five commandments, our relationship with the neighbor. The relationship with the parents is right there in the middle because that's where you learn how to behave. That's where you learn honesty. And that's how you learn to, I don't know, to admit to to live with integrity. So the, the father figure or the authority figure in your family has a lot to do with your first years in Christianity. A lot to do. If you had a very tolerant uh, uh, father or parents that were accepting basically anything and loving you, you're the, the you know, in Romanesque, you know, the belly of the earth. It doesn't make sense in English, but I mean, like, you know, you're, you're just, everything revolves around you. You think that God is like that. You know, I am God's special child. He died for me. How privileged. Dude, you got a problem. You got a problem. So learn to see how God is and how he reveals himself. And in this great salvation, you can see the heart of God. And the heart of God in this great salvation is that of a father. So verse 17 is knowing him. And verse 18 through 23 is appreciating what we already received from him in this great salvation. So I'll just have those two thoughts in closing that I would like to underline uh, in, a, uh, in, in, in getting to know this God that is offering our salvation and appreciating what he has given us in this particular salvation. First, his person. This great salvation reveals the heart of God. Um, our young people, I mean, from, from the Gwinnett uh, Romania Baptist Church, already know this. They heard me so many times, and they're going to hear me until I die or I get kicked out of church, something. Uh, Exodus 32 is one of the saddest chapters in the Bible. The the generation that was uh, uh, freed from Egypt, from Egypt captivity, uh, is waiting for Moses to come from the mountain of God with the law of God. They just experienced... My goodness, nobody could get even close to that mountain because God was speaking. And they're begging Moses, please tell God not to speak to us. We're going to perish. All of us will die. You go. Let him speak to you. You bring to us the word of God. We'll obey it. Moses says, okay. He goes up on the mountain. And they're thinking, he's not coming. He's not on time. He's late. Aaron, would you mind making us another God, and they build that golden calf, and they worship the golden calf. They just told Moses, please pray to God not to reveal himself to us. We're going to perish. And they're now waiting for the law that they have asked for. When Moses is coming down from the mountain, remember Joshua hears, Joshua had a better hearing. He was a younger guy. You know, he hears music and says, whoo, they're, they're, they're waiting for us. I mean, everything is ready. It's a big celebration. Moses is saying, it's not what you're thinking. It's the wrong kind of celebration. And when they go down, you know what happened. Judgment of God comes into the, uh, 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 the people of Israel. Thousands of them die and God is saying, I'm going to wipe out this generation. I'm going to start new with you. That's it. I mean, what else can I do for them? I, I, I just made a dry way through the sea. They've been eating everyday food from heaven. At night, I give them a cloud, a pillar of fire. During the day, I put a cloud so they can have, you know, some shade. What else? I'm going to wipe them out. Moses is saying, please don't do that. If you do that, pluck my name out of the book of life. Let me die with them." Now, that's the heart of a leader. And God is saying, okay, I'll not do that. But they're not going to enter into Canaan, the promised land. They'll be buried in here. Their children will enter the promised land. And Moses just realized that he had such a favor in the eyes of God. He was, <laughs> I, think, I think he didn't expect God to, you know, to listen to his plea. And he comes up with a favor that nobody ever asked God. He says in Exodus 33, verse 18, Please, show me your glory. If you've been so good to me, that you listened to my plea, which was very unreasonable, but you showed your mercy. I want to see your glory. I want to see what you're boasting in. I want to see what's the best thing that you want to reveal about yourself. Like If you want to ask, we just talked about Messi, what's his glory, what would he say? Baseball? He would say soccer, <laughs> right? That's his glory. Evander Holyfield in, in, uh, Holyfield in Atlanta, he would say boxing. You know, um, so so this is his glory. He couldn't do many things, but this is what he's really, you know, his trophies stand for. So Moses is asking God, you know, I want to see your glory. What are you boasting in? He said, okay, I'll do that for you tomorrow. You get ready for tomorrow and tomorrow, I'll show my glory. So you got the passage of Exodus 34, that... Shows what happened tomorrow. The Lord, he's going up on the mountain, staying the rock to be protected. And God comes down in the cloud and just with a loud voice calls his name and shouts this. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means cleaning the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon their children and their children, children to their third and fourth generation. Now you read before and after, I just for time's sake, just, just read the, the core of the message. Somebody that's from Atlanta, tell me, what does this mean? How come God is showing his glory in this? What does this have to do with his glory? Because I expected heavens to burst. Fourth of July be nothing. You know, mountains to crumble. I expected armies of angels to show, you know, what we're showing with air force. Nothing. You know, and God is just calling his name and just saying a few statements. What is the glory of God in this thing? Anybody? Go ahead. That's for sure. But why is he making those statements? Thank you. That is for sure. There's no man that can see God's glory and live. Anybody? If you're not going to be able to tell me this answers, you guys from Atlanta, I am a total failure. I admit it's not your fault, it's my fault. Let's try. All right, go ahead. Okay. But well, how does that show his glory? Okay. I must repent, I must ask the church to decrease my salary. Look what he's saying. He's saying, he's, he's, he's proclaiming his character. He says, a merciful, gracious, low-suffering, bonding in goodness, in truth, keeping mercy for thousands, thousands of generations, if you look into other translations. And then he's saying, um, after forgiving iniquity, he's saying, uh, he's saying, by no means clearing the guilty. I'm not going to call black, white, and white, black. No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's a clear cut between sin and holiness. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children of children to the third and fourth generation. It took me a few days to get the truth of this uh, passage. And I didn't read it in the commentaries. It was just, just, I just couldn't get it. But look at the mercy, forgiveness, goodness, long-suffering uh, through the thousandth of generation, And look at uh, uh, punishing or bringing justice, visiting the iniquity to the fathers, to the... Third and fourth generation. Anybody from Atlanta ringing any bells? Yes. What is it? Speak out loud. You cannot even compare it. He said, let me show you. Let me tell you where my glory stands. My glory stands in showing goodness, in showing mercy, in showing forgiveness Like nobody can do it. He's all powerful, but he does not use his power to destroy. He uses his power to build up. He uses his power to save. He doesn't use his power to impress. He uses it in a merciful, in a good way. And he said, yet I have to judge. I have to punish. But that is to the third and fourth generation. You look at this graph. That's the difference between 1,000 and 4. Because showing mercy to says thousands of generations, but I'll just put minimum 1,000. And punishing to the third or fourth generation, that is that line that you barely see at 12 o'clock. Do you get His glory? God is saying, I would rather a thousand times forgive than punish. I would rather a thousand times show my goodness and my mercy than show my judgment. I have to show my judgment because I'm a holy, just God. But I never celebrate that. I enjoy forgiving and building up. Doesn't that fit the picture of yesterday when Moses pleaded for the people? And God said, hey, I listen to you not because you convinced me, but because that's my heart. You remember when Jonah was asked to go to Nineveh? He went the opposite way. Why did he go the opposite way? In the last chapter you hear between the talk that Jonah has with God, he said, I knew that you were a merciful God. And I knew that if this You know, despicable people that are actually, you know, the invaders of our country. If they repent, you'll forgive them. They are invading the the people of God and God is willing to forgive them. And Jonah said, I knew they're going to repent and you're going to forgive them. That's why I didn't want to show up here. I would rather die. So that mean God of the Old Testament, where is he? He always had this kind of heart. He always had this kind of heart. So in the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ, the fact that he took the initiative and the fact that he put his son on the cross shows his goodness, his mercies, and that he wants to forgive And he's looking for opportunities to do so. And he's creating opportunities where there are no opportunities. It's just mind-boggling. That's why I said it's a salvation beyond comprehension because we cannot understand that. It's not fair. It's not right it's not fair it's not right it's called grace of god not anybody is saved is by the grace and mercies of god reading luke 15 the pharisees were pretty upset that jesus was hanging around with bad people now he was hanging around with bad people not to borrow from their way of living but to tell them the gospel and the love of god so christ is giving three parables and in each of those parables the lost coin the lost sheep and the lost son, prodigal son. In each of this parable, when, when the lost is found, look what, what, what Jesus is saying. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 missionaries and pastors, just persons who need no repentance. Dude, I feel a little, no why because god wants to forgive he knows how bad is in hell because he created that place and when you read in the book of matthew chapter 25 it says the hell was created for the devil and his angels he never thought of people to go there and he was doing everything he can to avoid that because he's good at heart and merciful now if you understand that being the heart of god I'm telling you what I do when I sin, because I do. I run to Him for forgiveness, and I thank Him for forgiveness. I don't have to beg Him for forgiveness. He's waiting for me to be forgiven. It's my stupidity that keeps me away from the grace of God, because I know His heart is ready to forgive. Look at the next uh, uh, illustration. You know, you get those uh, 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 the lady that found the coins and goes with her neighbors to celebrate. Says, "Likewise." I say to you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Really? Isn't there more important business to do in the kingdom of God than to celebrate one sinner? He said, no, not for God. Have you ever thought of God like that? It's only in the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ that you can see that clearly. Really clearly. I lived the generation when the TVs were black and white. And when I saw a TV in collar, I was like, whoo! I was about to, to literally faint. I, I just I just saw you. It's so real. It's so real. God in the Old Testament was always like that. Jonah said so. Moses realized. But it was more black and white. But when he came in the person of Jesus Christ, unspeakable. Unspeakable mercy. So it is when the prodigal son was coming home to be glad that this brother is, was dead and is alive, was lost and is found. You see the heart of God, mercies of God for the sinner? We, we, we read yesterday, Ephesians chapter 2, that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. According to the prince of this world, we were sons of disobedience on our way to hell, to the judgment of God. And then verse 4 comes with, but it's a conjunction of contrast, but something else will change, will turn around. God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you're saved. Hallelujah to that. We need some Pentecostal blood within us to celebrate the love of God, the mercies of God for us. It's because of His mercies and goodness. It's not because I was special. It's because He is special. That's why when you look at salvation, you've got to see this heart of God, that it's ready to celebrate and, f- and to forgive and celebrates celebrate forgiveness. And then from verses 17 through 23, and again, I'm just messing up with time. I'll have to apologize in advance let me just go through it this is such a good stuff this great salvation reveals the amazing life prepared for the children of God he's praying that you might get to know him you might get to know this God that brought this amazing salvation and just look at it look at it what's in it for you Um, and I give you a verse I mentioned earlier in the day that when when the prophets of Old Testament were told about this great salvation They made this great salvation the scope of their search. They were so into it that 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 was it. That was it. They wanted to find out more about this great salvation. And then this verse says that prophets have inquired and searched carefully. And then he testified beforehand. I'm looking at the last sentence. The sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow And you have the verse, the the, the previous verse says, in which the angels were anxious to look. The angels of heaven were anxious. Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. That's how amazing our salvation is through Jesus Christ. Angels marvel at our salvation. In this great salvation, you should appreciate not only His person, the heart of the Father, but what He blessed us with. Verse 18 talks about hope. When the devils look to the future, the demons, they were terrified. And they say, not yet. When you look to the future, you say, come, Lord Jesus. There's hope in this salvation. Uh, The riches of of, of, of the saints and what He prepared for us, uh, when they look to the future, they lose everything. They know it's gone. When you look to the future, you gain everything in this salvation. Uh, the resurrection power. This is so powerful. He says that if, to, to, to know and to, to understand the, the power that raised Christ from the dead. That is available to us now. My goodness. My goodness. The power that raised him from the dead above any principality and power. He says that power works within you today. Last Sunday evening, I preached in our church uh, realities that the cross of Christ brought to humanities beyond things here on earth. And I told them about because of Jesus Christ's death and his resurrection, basically a new humanity is created. We are called in the gospel sons of resurrection. Jesus is called the first fruits, the first that was raised from the dead. Well, he's not the first that was raised from the dead. We know there were raising of the dead in the Old Testament. Elisha, the prophet, did one. Not like Christ. He was raised in a body that he could go to heaven, that he could eat and didn't have to eat. could go through closed doors. He said he is the first one. No one was ever raised had a resurrection like that. But he said he's the first one, but not the last one. And First Corinthians 15 said that he is the beginning of a great resurrection. And There's going to be a community in heaven of resurrected people that were washed away of sin in his death and brought to life, like we just quoted Ephesians 2.5, with Christ in his resurrection. It's going to be a new civilization, a new community. It's called the Bride of Christ in which the power of resurrection will resurrect us one day. I go to funerals. I've done so many funerals. I don't like them. But I sit on that empty grave, and I say, one day, this brother of mine will come back in a better body, in a better life, because of Jesus Christ's resurrection. You can put tons of concrete on that grave. You'll come to life. You'll come to life because Jesus defeated death. And he gave us this hope of resurrection. And that's the new community. There will be a new heaven, a new earth. The Bible talks about it. 2 Peter chapter 3. Romans chapter 8 talks about that there will be a new nature. The nature yearns and waits the day of redemption when he will be itself free from the bondage that is right now. Because of man's fall. nature suffers. Now, can you... Just sit a bit and envision. Let me tell you what I understand from Ephesians 1. I see Ephesians 1 and Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, God said, let's make man according to our image, right? It's a plural. It's God the head, God the Father, God the Son, and Holy Spirit. talks about creating humanity on life. And it happens. In Ephesians chapter 1, God the head, God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit says, let's remake humanity. This time, not from the dust of the earth, but from the blood from the cross of Calvary. And let's give them life. But well, not life like Adam had, but let's give them resurrected life. Let's give them eternal life. Let's give them a life that can, they will never be able to sin and will be forever and ever enjoying glories. My goodness. Can you think of that can you appreciate that and you know why that's so because this earth that is marred by sin has to be destroyed judgment has to happen here and he's saying i'm creating a new world new heavens new vegetation for my new people that are the saved ones that will be with me forever when you look at God's salvation, those are the things that I just mentioned the hope, the riches, and the resurrection power. I just imagine, you know, I, I like this, this, you know, goes against all odds because there's so much power in those engines. And I think the Christ power of resurrection beats any of that. Beats any of that. Our great salvation, you see words in this passage holiness, forgiveness, adoption. Redemption, uh, being sealed, and, and way much more, way much more justification is not there. Um, it's not mentioned there. Glorification is not mentioned there. I tell people at Bap- of Catechism, when you talk about salvation, I know what we're thinking of. Forgiveness of sin. Oh, God have mercy on us. We rob salvation. Forgiveness of sin is the first step in our salvation. Then comes power over sin, which is holiness. Then comes adoptions, becoming the children of God. You read Galatians chapter 4, says in verse 5, And if we're children of God, he made us heirs with him. That means you inherit the kingdom of God. You're not just forgiven, you are welcomed into God's family, and he shares with you eternal glories. Can you appreciate that, Salvation? I'm just marveled at it, and I'm thankful that I'm included in the grace of God. And I know all the glory has got to go to Him. And I'm grateful, grateful for that. So tonight, as we wrap up our studies, you know, I want to I wanna ask you, just, just looking in, in closing, who would remove sin? Remember when Jesus was telling the, the, the guy that he was healing in, in John chapter 9, uh, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees immediately said, who can remove sins? But God, this is blasphemy. What is He doing? Well, guess what? He is God. Who could transform a sinner into a child of God with rights in eternity? Who could do that? Who has the right to do that? God. Who could offer God's eternal possessions to his children? But God. Who could offer an eternal salvation? But God, who is eternal. So you look at our salvation that was executed by Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And you could not but marvel and say, wow, it's got to be God. It really has got to be God. So my question to you, I'm not going to go through application. Like I, I, I used to go on every uh, uh, message, but do you know the heart of God? Do you see God as a father or you just see him as a judge? see him as a judge is because you want to stay in your sins and you're not reading the Bible. Because he reveals himself as a merciful God that he would rather forgive than punish. He has to punish, but he's not enjoying that. He's not waiting for judgment day. He's waiting for our redemption. He's waiting to spend eternity with us. So, have you trusted him as your Savior? Have you accepted his salvation? And He's doing that because of His pure mercy. Not because He needs you. It's because He knows you need Him. Because one day everything will go. And those who are not covered by the blood of Christ are lost forever and ever and ever. And they will go with the devil and his angels, even though God didn't intend that to happen. So take it really, really seriously. Where is your eternity? Is it with this amazing God? With Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who is God and offered us a marvelous salvation, or you're still on your own. And if you trusted Him as your Savior, what does it mean to you to be saved? Is it just to be forgiven? Or is it to live a life for His glory in the power of His Spirit? To proclaim the glory of God in your life and your acts your life to point to this amazing God I think the world is desperate of hearing such a gospel but they don't know it because our life sometimes is not showing it is not telling it I pray to God that in this time together when we say that Jesus is God that through our lives Jesus might be shown that's why we're here on earth and not in heaven because he has to spread that message to other people that need to hear of salvation in Christ. May this time be a time of when the Holy Spirit will search our hearts to make it right. And if it's right, to be renewed in worshiping the true God that had mercy on our souls. Glory to his name. Let's stand up for just a few moments. And let's just wrap those moments in prayer. Those of you who know the, the, the love of God, the salvation of God, Let's just come to him. And this time the the guys that are in praise and worship can come forward if that's what's following. But let's let's just praise him for his mercies. Let's just praise him that we have a Bible, that we can find this truth in our language. And that you can rest in the goodness of God because of his mercies. That he showed this amazing salvation to us. If you're here and you don't have that salvation, whatever you are, you can just say, God... Thank you for having mercy on my soul, too. Please forgive my sins, and I commit myself to you. Help me. Help me through the Holy Spirit to walk a life that is one of being forgiven by Jesus Christ. He will help you. He wants to do that to you. You don't have to beg him to. One day it will be too late. I pray to God my messages will never work for Judgment Day for anybody but for your salvation to the glory of God. Let's spend a few moments, and a few of us, two, three, four, just to wrap it up in prayer and come before the Lord.